None of the Above by Stuart Hardy. Sue was so tired and bleary-eyed that morning that she hadn't even looked at her ballot paper properly. She'd just seen Stephen's name next to the words Labour Party at the top of the little grid of options, ticked it, put it in the box, and gotten her vote out of the way with. She then started setting up stall in the local community centre turned polling station in her quiet little borough as if it were a totally normal election. In fairness to her, her colleague Mike hadn't noticed something strange about his ballot paper when he'd voted either. Both of them had been up since 4am and were almost certainly going to be up all night to watch the results come in. General elections were always a tired indistinct haze for council workers. The first person in to vote was always Elsie Jennings. Elsie was 72 and she was the most active retiree that Sue had ever met. Sue didn't know which way Elsie usually voted. Probably green, but she could never be sure. She had her sneaking suspicions that she was a conservative with a small c. Elsie came through the double doors at 7am and she was just as bright and cheery as ever. Morning, Sue. Morning, Elsie. How have you been? Never better. How's Stuart? Oh, he's fine. Still recovering. He's back at school, though. Sue somehow managed to greet Elsie with mild enthusiasm over her third coffee of the morning. She just loved Elsie's positive energy. Sue handed Elsie her ballot paper. Elsie went over to the little booths just as a tired couple dressed in crumpled work clothes came through the doors and told Sue their names and addresses. Ah, you're in the next room. She directed the couple next door to Mike's table in room A13. The couple left, and then Elsie came back over to her. Uh, Sue, have you seen this? What's wrong? I don't understand. Elsie was staring at her ballot slip with a look of complete confusion on her face. Is it misprinted? It was probably because the Liberal Democrats weren't running a candidate in this constituency. Maybe Elsie was a Liberal Democrat after all. Her hands were trembling. Elsie turned the paper around and showed it to her. Elsie had already put her tick in the box next to the Conservative candidate, but that wasn't what she was pointing at. Elsie had her finger next to the box at the bottom of the tiny slip of yellow paper that said in big bold letters the words that everyone had always joked about seeing on a ballot, but no one had ever expected it to be an actual option. There was a box at the bottom of the ballot that said... None of the above. There was no candidate name above it, just a box to tick. Is this... is this real? What the... Sue jumped to her box of ballot papers and started pulling them out of their slots one after another. They all said it. There was a list of candidates in alphabetical order next to their party names. Labour was at the top, then Conservative, then Green then just below the bloke from UKIP on every slip of paper, none of the above. Mike came through from room A13 with the couple in crumpled work clothes, both of whom looked just as confused as Sue and Elsie. 
There's something weird about these ballots. Mike said dumbly, as if Sue hadn't noticed and wasn't obviously flicking through the ballot papers right in front of him. They... they all say it. It... it must be a misprint, right? I assume so. The man in crumpled work clothes spoke up. Well, well, can we vote for it? Everyone looked at him as if he was mad. Well, well, it'll just get counted as a spoiled ballot. But that's a box, right there. It says none of the above. Surely there's a box there, you have to count it. The man's voice was shaking. He appeared to be unsure how to react to this. Should he be happy? Confused? Afraid? What's the procedure for this? How should I bloody know? We can't reprint all the ballots now, can we? At that point, the man in crumpled work clothes sighed angrily and ran a hand through his hair, and he marched back into room A13 with his ballot paper flapping in his hand as he went. Everyone watched the man as he took his ballot over to the booth, rested the paper on the counter and aggressively ticked it with the tiny pencil. He put it in the box and marched out past his wife or girlfriend. I'll meet you in the car. His partner took her ballot paper over to the table as he walked out and did the same thing. She gave an embarrassed smile as she left. At that moment, a small group of ladies from the local retirement home walked through the door. Sue bit her lip as she looked up at them. What do we do? I I, I don't know. Just just keep handing them out. (sighs) All right. Mike sighed, and he returned to his table in the other room. Sue greeted the ladies with an attempted smile on her face. Just act normal, Sue. Just act normal. Sue and Mike handed over to Julia and Luke when they arrived at about 8am. Sue and Mike had both gotten sick of having to have the same conversation with confused voters over and over again. They'd checked their Twitter feeds in their spare moments. The news hadn't gotten hold of the story yet, but the words none of the above were slowly creeping up the trending tab. Sue phoned George back at the office and got him to check the systems. George swore blind that yes, there was a political party active on the system that was definitely called none of the above. Well, do we know anything about them? Why is there a party on the ballot but no candidate? I don't know. I checked the system last night. I saw a sample. There was nothing below UKIP. Well, well, how is it on the ballot then? I don't bloody know. There was an awkward pause. Are people voting for it? Yes, I've had the same conversation about 200 times today. People are thrilled. Said they've wished they'd do this for years. But, but what happens if they win? I don't bloody know. How should I know? Well, 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 Stephen was probably going to lose his seat this year anyway. Oh yeah, as if that's the most important thing to worry about right now. Sue did feel a pang of guilt as she said that. She did like Stephen quite a bit. Have the 
has shown up yet. No. I've been keeping a tally of people excited about none of the above and it's really not looking good. No, hang on, there's a call on the other line. No, George, do not hang up on me! It was too late. He'd hung up. It was probably journalists. The polls had been open for about two hours. A confused newsreader in a BBC studio didn't quite know what tone he should use to deliver the news, so he split the difference and gave a half grimace as he gave the country updates about this bizarre phenomenon. It's a joke that's been told for many years, but now the joke has become reality. Across the country, voters are going to the polls and are being met with the startling option for the first time at the bottom of their ballots to choose none of the above. Local authorities are baffled. Council workers in all constituencies are claiming that all ballots were printed last night with just a list of candidates, with no option for none of the above. Workers claim they didn't discover the option until voting on their own ballot paper earlier this morning. Local councils are reporting a new party called None of the Above has appeared on their computer systems, and no matter what they do, it can't be deleted. The contact information on the official registration with the Electoral Commission is blank. There are no listed candidates, no registered address, no sign of where the entry came from. Those who vote by post claim the ballots they sent back earlier this month didn't contain the option. But whether poster votes would be enough to stop any constituency swinging to none of the above is unclear. The Prime Minister has assured people not to panic but has also been swift to warn people that no one is entirely sure what will happen if none of the above wins. So it's best just to act as if the option isn't there. Political pundits are saying a victory for none of the above could lead to a constitutional crisis the like of which the British Isles has never seen before. The news then cut to a live feed from a local reporter outside a polling station in Hartlepool. He was interviewing thrilled voters. Nobody was taking the Prime Minister's warning seriously. The public had mostly gotten sick of him since the scandal about his tax arrangements. One man said he'd voted for none of the above just to spite him. The newsreader bit his lip when they cut back to the studio. In the moment before he began to speak, the newsreader wondered which way he would vote when he went home for a break before coming back for the night's coverage. He did quite like his local Conservative MP, but something deep down inside of him was telling him to go with the mystery option. Exit polls will be out later this evening, at around 10pm. The newsreader then signed off for a piece about farming subsidies. Sue returned home at around 7pm to her delighted husband Wayne. He'd gotten home from work a few hours ago and he had had the TV on ever since. All programming had been cancelled and all the channels were just playing rolling news. Please tell me you voted for Stephen. Obviously he shook his head. But you've met Stephen. Stephen's nice. Yeah, but he's a politician... All politicians have to be nice to you. That's how they get your vote. 
Yes, but what happens if it wins? Who knows? <laughs> Who cares? But just... Oh. Sue was very close to just tearing her hair out. She had expected this from random members of the public on TV and Twitter. They were idiots, but Wayne was smart. Wayne watched the news. They talked about politics all the time. He knew she did her dissertation on the suffragettes. He knew why voting mattered so much to her. Dinner was quiet and subdued. Sue was too tired to say all that much. Wayne interrogated their son Stuart about his day at school, and Stuart offered his usual monosyllabic grunts to shut his father up before heading off upstairs for a few hours of video games before bed. Stuart was blissfully unaware of what was going on in the real world. You don't care about all this stuff when you're 13. Sue put the kettle on again as Wayne sat down by the TV. A reporter was interviewing the Home Secretary outside a community centre in Godalming. The Home Secretary reassured everyone that she was confident the Conservatives would retain their majority and that this little democratic blip would just be a silly season story for the rest of the summer. You could tell she was lying. Her lower lip wobbled whenever she lied. Countless commentators had pointed it out over the years. Sue handed Wayne a coffee and sat down and scrolled through her Twitter feed. Everybody was saying the same thing. All of them were excited that they could finally vote for none of the above. And nobody seemed to be unnerved by the fact that nobody knew what would happen if it won. You would have thought everyone would want some degree of certainty or a plan before voting a certain way. Apparently not. Everyone just thought it was a laugh. The exit poll came at about 10pm, and it showed exactly what everyone expected. Conservatives, 55 seats. Labour, 32 seats. Liberal Democrats... Zero seats. Green Party, one seat. Sinn Féin, two seats. SNP, three seats. None of the above was set to take a grand total of 557 seats in the House of Commons out of a potential 650. The likelihood of the exit poll being wrong enough to be hundreds of seats out was impossible. Sue and Wayne stayed up throughout the night glued to the news coverage as one by one results came in and almost every single MP and cabinet minister that had been all over the news for the last half a decade lost their seats. The Chancellor, gone. Foreign Secretary, gone. Justice Secretary, gone. The Prime Minister lost his own seat and that almost never happens. The only member of the current government that held their seat was the Culture Secretary and he wasn't even that popular. But his constituency was tiny and mostly retirees, so they probably just went with the devil they knew. The Prime Minister gave his resignation speech at Conservative Party HQ at 3am when none of the above's total count passed into a majority. Nobody paid any attention though. The TV only played brief clips of him thanking his wife and praising his colleagues for his government's all but non-existent accomplishments. Cameras were trained on the door to 10 Downing Street as the results kept coming in, and confused reporters stood around offering theories as to what happens now, and saying words like unprecedented and phenomenal. But whether they could use the term victory or not was unclear, because no one knew if anyone had actually won. All they knew was that everyone had lost. 
A flustered representative from the Electoral Commission was invited onto all the news channels to be questioned about how on earth this could have happened. The lady swore blind that the entry for none of the above hadn't been on their database prior to the night before the election. There had been a joke party called None of the Above registered in 1974, but they'd only ever stood one candidate in Ted Heath's constituency. They got 267 votes. The man that ran the original None of the Above was dead now. It couldn't have been related to this new one. It got to about 4am, and 632 seats had been declared, and it was pretty much assumed that the remaining seats would go to None of the Above. It wasn't anywhere near a close call. And that was when the door to 10 Downing Street opened. No one paid any attention at first, as it could have been any member of the now-defeated government coming out to make a statement. But instead, an old man dressed in a brilliant white suit came out. He was unsteady on his feet and he walked with a black cane. He had long white hair and his skin was crumpled and dishevelled beyond belief. He must have been at least 80, maybe 90. He looked even older than that. A hush came over the crowd of reporters as they watched the old man walk forward to a podium that had seemingly appeared from nowhere. Soon Wayne's mouths dropped open as they watched the man approach the podium. They swore they recognised him from somewhere, but they couldn't think where from. Something about him just seemed familiar. The anonymous old man smiled. The news crews extended their boom mics, and a caption appeared in the news banner that just said, New Prime Minister addresses the nation. The old man started speaking. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for placing your trust in me. I'm so thrilled. We ran a fantastic campaign. I'd like to thank all my support staff, my loving wife, my sons, daughters. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. He spoke in a soft, warm voice that was like melted butter. Nobody even noticed that the content of his speech was all but absent. He just spoke with a politician's platitudes. He paused again, as if he was waiting for an applause that never came. He smiled, showing a mouth that was only punctuated by the occasional rotten yellow tooth. The country has faced so many challenges in recent years, but they're all over now. So I urge you all to celebrate, hug your families close to you, and prepare for a bright new dawn for us all. From this day forth, I declare that things can only get better. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. The anonymous old man turned, and he walked back towards the door of Downing Street. He went inside, 
and he closed the door behind him. The hush over the crowd of news reporters remained firmly in place. Everyone wanted to turn to the person next to them and say, What the hell just happened? Who is that man? But everyone was so stunned that words failed them. All around the country, people watched the static cameras trained on the door to 10 Downing Street for at least 20 solid minutes. They had no words for what had just happened. And then, there was a high-pitched sound far away in the distance. Everyone remembered hearing that sound before. It had played in countless movies, but it felt so surreal to be hearing it in real life. It took everyone a long time to fully recognise what was happening. Sue turned to Wayne at that point. Her mouth was hanging open. Those were air raid sirens. The sound was coming from the TV, and it was also ringing out from the dark blue skies outside their front window. Sue and Wayne both stared out at the ominous blue skies as the sound of the sirens rung through their bodies. Their attention was then drawn back to the TV when the cameras trained on Downing Street then cut to a news studio. A terrified newsreader was addressing the nation. We're getting word from RAF headquarters that satellites have detected intercontinental ballistic missiles coming to the UK from multiple sources. They're coming from France, Russia, the USA, everywhere. This is not a hoax. If you're not indoors, seek shelter immediately. Repeat. Seek shelter immediately. Audio feed was still coming from the crowd of reporters outside Downing Street. People had started screaming. There was the sound of stampeding feet. The anchor ran out of the studio, leaving an empty desk behind him. This, this, this isn't real, is it? Wayne couldn't answer. He just looked stunned. The camera feed cut back to Downing Street. The operator had pointed it towards the sky and left it in place. Sue flicked through all the channels. They were all like that. Every single channel showed an abandoned camera feed pointed at the dark skies above Downing Street. The sirens continued, but they were soon drowned out by the sounds of people screaming inside their own homes all around the country. Sue and Wayne left the TV on and rushed to the door. They stepped out into the cool, early morning breeze of the 24th of June. The sky was getting darker right before their eyes. It was as if the atmosphere itself could sense that something had shifted. Sue looked at her phone. She was even more confused, if that was possible. At the top of trending on Twitter were the words, It must die. She tapped on it. Her feed was instantly flooded with videos of world leaders in their press briefing rooms in every corner of the planet, surrounded by reporters holding boom mics and flashing cameras. The most retweeted video was of the US president with his little black beady eyes and wispy white hair. He spoke with a voice that didn't sound like his own. We only know one thing for certain, it has to die. 
That thing that's just been elected leader of the UK must die. It must die now. Sue scrolled through the tweets and found every single person tweeting that sentence, from official news sources to random accounts with long strings of numbers in the username. The feed was just an endless repetition of the words, it must die, it must die, it must die. Fear clutching tightly in her chest, Sue looked up again at the sky and saw it was growing darker still. She only had a few seconds to realise that that was because her field of vision had been invaded by the shadow of a nuclear missile that was about to hit her quiet little suburban neighbourhood. She looked across at her husband. He'd put a hand above his eyes and he was squinting, trying to focus on the missile that was headed right towards them. In the final moment before impact, Sue comforted herself with one final thought. At least I didn't vote for this. None of the above was written and read by Stuart Hardy. Casting was by Luke Allen. It featured the voices of Dawn Butler, Ninette Finch, Peter Terry, Joshua Gill, Edward Tidy, and Michael Fenton Stevens. This podcast was funded by supporters at my Patreon project at patreon.com slash stewbagfull. I'd like to thank the following people. A. Maxwell, Alastair McPherson, Aniron Hunt, Chris Lim, Chris P, Connor Pape, Dave Sanders, Jennifer Milligan, Joel, Louise Wade, Matthew Brench, Max Kennedy, Michael Gran, Oxbow is Amsty, Pastelwitch, Robert Conley, and The Hickster. Thanks for listening.